as we say goodbye to TVAM, good morning and welcome to the very last day of transmission from Thames Television. This is the TV Booth Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode two of the TV Booth Podcast with me, Rob Francis. Today's guest is best known as a continuity announcer and newsreader for various ITV regions. His voice has introduced the final day of transmissions for Thames Television, as well as schedule changes in the days following the September 11th attacks in New York. I'm pleased to welcome Mark Lipscomb into the TV booth. Hello, I'm Mark Lipscomb and you're listening to the TV Booth Podcast. Mark, thank you for agreeing to be a part of the TV Booth Podcast. My pleasure, Rob. At long last, we finally get to, to do it. Finally. You will not believe the amount of technical problems we've had this <laughs> afternoon in getting this podcast going, but I think we're now there. So let's start at the beginning, Mark. When did you first decide that you wanted to work in television? That goes right back to my childhood, actually, Rob. When I was a little boy, I was absolutely obsessed with wanting to become a TV cameraman. Um, to the extent that uh, when my parents used to go up to school for meetings with the teachers around careers times, they would say, um, you know, we're really a bit worried about Mark because he doesn't want to work in a shop or doesn't want to become an accountant or, you know, the, the sort of normal jobs. Um, he wants to work in TV. And they said, don't think he will ever do it. So, your- so it goes so it goes right back to my childhood, you know, um, desperately wanting to be a television cameraman. Um, and it And it went from there, actually. How did your career in television begin? Well, um, because I wanted to fulfil the ambition of being a cameraman, while I was at school, I would always go around to visit the TV studios, ITV, BBC, and I lived in the South. So um, I often went down to Southern Television's Dover Studio, and uh, which was which was brilliant, a wonderful place for those people that might have had uh, memories of it, um, and also down to Southampton. Um, and all the television cameraman that I met, the heads of cameras and departments said, you've got to get photographic experience and you've got to go to college. So I angled my sort of uh, school career with subjects to go to college. It was very difficult to get in, but I was very lucky because one of the cameramen at Thames Television gave me a a wonderful reference, which I think might have uh, assuaded a bit. And um, because it was heavily oversubscribed, the course. Uh, I got into the course. It was a three-year course, but after the second year, um, I was offered a trainee camera position at uh, one of the London facilities companies called Molinaire at the time, um, and it was a great time to start uh, as a trainee because Channel Four had just started. We were doing lots of studio live programs for ITV, Channel Four, um, lots of outside broadcasts. So it was a great place to start. So that's where my uh, TV career started, but on the other side of camera. So how did how did you go from that to continuity announcing? Well, I gather I'm quite unique in that respect. The only other person I've ever known who's done that was Alan Cartner, who was the uh, continuity announcer at Border Television a few years ago. He used to be a television cameraman for BBC Outside Broadcasts. And when I met him, we had that in common. And I understand it's quite it's quite rare for people to go from one side of the camera to the other. But um Basically, what happened was that after a while of being freelance as a cameraman, um, I decided I might want some other string to my bow. And it was around the time when uh, the franchises were coming up in 92 and a lot of the companies were 
possibly going to lose their franchise. So they'd be making a lot of redundancies. So I thought this would be a good time to try and get another string to my bow. And something else I'd always wanted to do as a, as a young kid was to be on, on the radio or TV as a presenter. Um, in fact, when I was when I was young, I actually built my own sort of continuity studio in my dad's loft, and I would sit there with different company logos over my shoulder with a pretend yeah. camera. Uh, as sad as that might sound, but I'm sure it uh, hits a note with many people out there. Um, yeah, and I used to sit there. Not alone, there Mark. I, I used to sit there for <laughs> ages doing my own continuity announcements. So that aside, um, uh, I then uh, saw an advert for the AA Roadwatch. They wanted new um, traffic reporters because at the time they were providing traffic reports for independent local radio and BBC. So I sent off a tape and they asked me to go along and I did an audition and I got some work. Along with um, Fiona Phillips at the time, who went on to be a presenter at GMTV, and Trish Bertram, who was an announcer at LWT. Um, so we would go in there really early in the morning sometimes talking about, you know, traffic, traffic chaos, holdups on the motorways, you know, our eyes sort of half closed because we were still quite a, quite asleep. Um, but it was a great place to start. Um, and at the time, one of the companies that we did a broadcast to was BBC World Service. And in before the the uh, actual broadcast we'd we'd contact the studio manager and make sure the lines were okay and they could hear us and we could hear them and after i did one of the broadcasts this particular studio manager said to me uh, mark have you ever thought about coming to work for the world service and i said oh my gosh you know world service i actually put that on a pedestal and she said um, we're looking for new trainee announcers and newsreaders so she said why don't you you know send them a tape and see how it goes so i did and I understand, along with 2,500 other people, um, I applied and I was one of five lucky people to be accepted um, and taken on to be trained as a newsreader and an announcer for about nine, ten months, that was. Um, so that was great, great experience getting the live radio stuff. Prior to that, I'd spoken to the ITV companies saying, you know, I would really like to have a go at being an announcer and do you take trainees on? And they all said to me the same thing. You need to go and get some radio experience and some live broadcasting experience. So after I'd been at the BBC World Service, I contacted TVS, as it was at the time, and uh, they said, well, we're so impressed that you actually did what we suggested. Um, we'd like to take you on as a trainee. So I joined TVS in 1987 um, and was trained by people like Malcolm Brown, who um, was former of Granada and who was then head of announcers at TVS. Trish Bertram, again, who was there working um, at TVS and LWT. So I had some really great people to, to learn from. Um, and I was at TVS for a couple of years, freelancing and learning the ropes. And then one day, um, the deputy head of Prez, who was a, an absolutely wonderful man called John Gordon, um, said to me one day, Mark, have you ever thought of working at Thames? And I said, oh, gosh, you know, Thames was in London. It was the, one of the big one of the big franchises. And he said, I really think you ought to contact um, the head of Prez at uh, Thames and, and send them a tape. So I did. They called me in for a, for a chat. Uh, um, I spent a day sitting with Philip Ellsmore, who... I'm sure your listeners will know is uh, one of the voices of Thames and, you know, he'd been there for a number of years. So I sat next to him for um, for a day watching him work. And at the time, the announcers were still very much in vision at Thames. 
Um, so sat next to him and then did a couple of links out of vision during the day. And then the next day, the head of prayers called me and said, um, have you got your diary? Um, I'd like to book you for some for some work. Uh, and there I stayed to the end of the franchise. So, um, Absolutely, yes, because you were you were the announcer on the final day of Thames Television. Um, I'd like to ask about that, actually, because it must have been a, a very difficult day for you that day. What what was the atmosphere like? Well, I have to say, Rob, um, when we actually heard that we'd lost the franchise, which was a good 18 months previous to it actually happening, it was like slowly watching a huge dinosaur die because you'd go into the Houston studios where presentation was based. And over a period of weeks and months, offices would suddenly have closed down people were suddenly leaving. And so what had been a vast factory of television for ITV was gradually dying on its feet. And I have to say, it was it was very difficult for me because I was offered a job at Carlton um, <coughs> before Thames lost the franchise. Right. So in, in from the September of 1993, up until uh, the franchise changed. I was going across to the studios at LWT where Carlton's transmission was going to be based under the LNN umbrella. And we were doing rehearsals and training to get this new station on air. And then I'd be going back to U the Houston studios of Thames in the afternoon to do an evening shift. Um, you know, I was going forward, but so many of my colleagues were not. And for so many of them, it was the end of their careers. And it was a very, very difficult time. As for the last day, um, I was on the daytime shift. Um, yeah. Coming out of TVAM, which themselves were closing that day. Uh, and Phil, Philip Elsmore was doing the doing the evening shift. It was a very emotional day, probably yeah, one of the most emotional days I've experienced in my working career. Um, I stayed right through, right through to the evening. Um, and I filmed uh, on video a lot of behind the scenes footage of what was going on that night. And I, I did put some of them on on Twitter um, last Christmas time. Um, but there's more at some point I need to do. But it was, it was. And even now, Rob, when I watch this video back, it brings tears to my eyes. It really does, because it was yeah. such, such an emotional day, such a poignant day, because from then on, ITV was never the same. No, I, I will agree with that. I mean, I you've left Thames and you've now joined Carlton. So yes. how, how, did, how did things progress from there? Well, Carlton was um, a very different beast as it were it was always going to have a difficult job following in the footsteps of Thames you know which had been there for 20 or 20 odd years so it had Thames had a history Carlton was a completely new experience it wasn't um, a broadcaster as such where it made its own programs it was a publisher broadcaster so whereby a lot of their material was made by independents um, it was a very different experience because we were based at the South Bank studios where LWT were. So I felt we were very much like tenants um, living in somebody somebody else's house. You know, we were up on the sixth floor in presentation 
Um, but the main actual hub of Carlton was based in St. Martin's Lane and then in Knightsbridge. So we were very much split apart from the mothership, as it were. Um, and so we were there, you know, as I say, doing our Monday to Friday till 515. Um, and then LWT would take over and we literally hot seat in the same announcer's yeah. booth. We'd get up and the LWT announcer would get in and, and, and take over. Um, so in that respect, Carlton was a very different beast to Thames. And in fact, I, uh, having you know been at Thames for, for a number of years, it was very difficult because you sort of almost go into automatic sometimes when you're doing announcements. And for, for some time, once I started at Carlton, I had to have a piece of paper in front of me saying, this is Carlton, because I was so worried that one day I was going to say this is Thames. Yeah, a pound in the swear box. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think a lot more than that, actually. Yes, yes. Yeah, I take it around the time you joined Central, uh, they were under Carlton control. How did you no, get involved? No, I, I'd actually, I actually joined uh, Central in 1991 um, oh. while I was still at Thames. And of course, being working for the for the weekday contractor, um, you know, it was Monday to Friday. So I had my weekends off. So um, Central were looking for a new, uh, an additional presenter for their weekend bulletins in the Central South setup. I don't know if you're aware, but Central at the time was split yeah. up into three news regions. There was the South yeah, yeah. In, in Abingdon, then we had the Birmingham setup and the Nottingham setup. So I yeah. went for an audition to do news reading at Central South at weekends and got the job. Um, so I was lucky. I was, you know, I was busy at Thames during the daytime and uh, weekdays. And then at weekends, I would trot up to uh, Abingdon and, and present. But it was, you know, Central was a was a great place to work because it, um, it Central South was, I think, probably one of the one of the best. And I would say that, wouldn't I? But it was yeah. one of the best regions, I think um, it covered such a, a diverse area, you know, from yeah. sort of Oxfordshire right into Herefordshire. And even now, people come up and say, we really miss Central South because it did yeah. the region. And I was given great opportunities at Central by the management because I could I went and did um, daytime presenting uh, bulletins in Birmingham and then programmed the six o'clock program in, in Nottingham. So it was a great place, great place to work. Excellent. I mean, I, I remember watching you when when uh, Central South became Thames Valley today. Oh, yes. I'm in the Thames Valley area, so remember watching you in, on Sunday evenings reading the news. It was it was always a joy to listen to your voice reading the news. Um, what is a, a day in the life of a typical continuity announcer? What sort of jobs do you have to carry out in a in a shift? Well, I have to say, I I don't know what it's like now, Rob, um, particularly in ITV. But uh, at the time, um, it was the day was split up into three shifts. There would be the daytime announcer. We would we would be there to bring the station on air, you know, at nine twenty five until uh, children's ITV. Then the evening announcer would come in until about ten thirty and after news at ten, the junction. And then there'd be a nighttime announcer who would go through the night, um, you know, down right back round to TVAM as it was in the day at six o'clock. Um, so I I did quite a lot of evening shifts at Thames so that would mean being in as I said after children's ITV we would go in we would get our schedules from the presentation director we would go through any pointers that we might need to make anything we'd you know have a chat about what the evening was going to bring forward um, so you would very much we'd have program synopsis about what was going on 
Um, and I and I think one of the one of the main jobs of of an announcer is to really know what your programs are. Um, it's very easy to just to read a script and say that was this is. Um, but I think the viewers feel far more engaged if you are engaged with the programme and they get a sense that you've been watching it with them. And at the time, as I say, I don't know what it, it's particularly like now, but we wrote all our own scripts. So everything was, you know, done by us. The occasional um, script would come down, uh, say, for example, if we had to do an, uh, um, an ITC adjudication, if someone had uh, made some you know, defamatory comment on a on a program where we'd have the 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 ITA as it the ITC as it was at the time would have an adjudication, so we would have to read that out. But most of the all the other scripts that we did in in trying programs was was written by ourselves. Um, so we would stay on until, uh, as I say, after the news at ten ten thirty local news junction, and then the nighttime announcer would come in, um, and uh, you know we would hand over to them. Um, so yeah, it was great. One of one of the best jobs I've ever had. I have to say, one of the best jobs I've ever had. And if you're a, if you're a TV anorak, it makes it even even better. Absolutely. Um, one of the clips that I found on YouTube recently was of you doing um, continuity uh, doing a continuity announcement on the day of the September the 11th terrorist attacks. You were do, you were doing a, a schedule change was broadcast yes. nationally yes um, how did you how did you cope with schedule changes were they easy to um slot into the to the to the schedule well i have to say rob um i always liken the job of an announcer and a presenter actually you you, you have to be very much like a swan you're very calm and cool on the on the on the surface underneath your feet could be paddling like mad because all around you is changing and that's, I have to say, that's when an announcer and a presenter earns their money, when things are changing at such a fast pace. And I remember I was at home on the day of 9-11 um, during the daytime and just getting ready actually to leave, to go to um, to work. Uh, and I had my television on uh, and, and saw, you know, the, the dreadful goings on um, with the Twin Towers and obviously got to work as quick as I could. Because it was an unfolding situation and things were changing so rapidly, um, you know, ITN were doing, as, as they called it, open-ender, whereby they, they go on air and, and just carry on until, you know, um, they've given as much information as possible. But at the same time, um, the schedule was changing in, in, in other ways. So it was changing as we were on air which was great and so what we had to do was um a lot of network announcements at the time um we would have a, a 30 second rundown saying you know due to circumstances um, and events in america today um, program changes are like this and that means we're going to be joining itn at such a time such a time and that's that's when the adrenaline you know rushes through your veins and that's when you really earn your money because you've you've really got to be on the ball and it was i have to say um like that when um diana princess of wales died um you know big events uh changes everything in in television and you've got to be prepared and you've got to deliver you know that's 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 the main thing so it was exciting because you know the, uh, and I, I also remember being on at thames when the first Gulf War started um, and that was just incredible because my uh, controller presentation came in 
late at night uh, and they were literally rewriting the ITV schedule as they were going along and you know they were doing lives into ITN and it's when you see that part of the ITV machinery kicking in you just think wow this is something really quite special because at times like that you know they deliver and and they they they're there for for the public to know what's going on and you you just at the time I stood back and I thought this is just incredible to watch this watch this happening follow the tv booth podcast on facebook twitter and youtube for sneak previews of forthcoming podcasts this is the tv booth podcast what would you say was your proudest moment i'm proud of i'm proud of everything i've done in television be it camera work be it continuity announcing be it uh, presenting uh, central presenting the news and at uh, thames valley um oh gosh I think I probably have to say um, on days like 9-11 and Diana's uh, death, when you get home and you realise the extent of what has actually happened that day and you know that what you broadcast went out to the nation or to the region, wherever you were, uh, and you provided that service and it went as clockwork that's when that's when you'd come home and and actually almost tap yourself on the back you know patted yourself on the shoulder and thought yes that worked it did we did it so i think those are amongst some of my most proud moments um and and and, and achieving you know a life held ambition really to work in tv were there any bloopers or outtakes or any cock-ups that happened whilst you were on duty? Um, there's, yes, there's been a few, actually, uh, Rob. But one that does spring to mind is when I was at Thames, um, when I joined, it was very much in the time when they were gradually phasing out in vision during the daytime uh, and, and evening. Uh, but you had to go prepared, um, you know, looking the part, ready, just in case something happened or they decided they were going to do an envision slot and it was the day that Laurence Olivier died um we were in um a, a program uh in the afternoon and suddenly we had a call from ITN to say that Laurence Olivier had died and that they would be doing a news flash um now Laurence Olivier had done quite a lot of programmes for Thames over the over the latter latter years, so I was aware that the management, you know, were going to be upstairs watching this. But at the time when I was at Thames, we didn't have we had talkback uh, between the, the announcer and the presentation director, but it was keyed talkback, and by that I meant they pushed a button and you could hear them. We didn't wear earpieces or headphones. Um, and we were in the middle of this programme and I was sitting there and suddenly over the talkback, my presentation director said, we're doing a newsflash at ITN at, I think it was three o'clock, um, uh, and we're going to be going to Trevor McDonald for a newsflash. And then suddenly the lights came on in the studio and he said, coming to you, coming to you, coming to you. And suddenly I looked at my preview monitors and my transmission monitor and I was on air. <laughs> oh, dear. And thinking, right, now, I remember he said, we're going to ITN at three o'clock for the news flash. So I started talking, but nothing was coming out because they hadn't faded my microphone up. Oh, dear. 
So I'm sort of sitting there goldfishing, goldfishing, saying, and then suddenly they must have realised out in the control room, oh, my gosh, his microphone isn't up. So they put the microphone up. And I said, we'll be joining Children's ITV in a couple of minutes. First, we're going over to ITN for a news flash, as it was at the time, a news flash. Um, anyway, we went across to ITN. I think it was Trevor McDonald uh, presenting the news flash. Um, by the time we switched over to ITN, my lights went out um, and it was like, Whew, what happened there? Um, I must have looked like a, a frightened rabbit in the headlights. But by that time, my presentation director had been summoned upstairs to answer by management. What the hell happened there? Um, and it was after that, um, because I said to them, if I'd have had an earpiece, I would have known what was going on. And after yeah. that, we had earpieces. So so it's one of those days that you never forget. Um, I've got the tape somewhere. And when I do find it, uh, I'm sure there's plenty of people that would like to see it. I'm sure a lot of people would like to see it. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, recently on Twitter, you've been um, you've been rather vocal about the centralisation of continuity and the erosion of the regional station identities. What's your view on it, on the, all these changes that have been made over the last 20 years? Well, I guess I'm... I'm sort of old fashioned in, in many respects, Rob, because I loved the ITV regions. Um, ITV was set up, you know, in, in to be so unique amongst broadcasters. Uh, and I think I, I, I find it really sad that we've lost that. I understand why it was done on a business uh, in a business basis and a financial basis. But I think it's really sad that ITV has lost something that made it so unique, probably in the world whereby wherever you went in the country, you knew you were watching your local TV programmes that were made in that region and actually reflected the diverse makeup that, you know, that this country, the British Isles is. Um, and I think I find it really sad that we've lost that now. It's been, for want of a better expression, homogenised, where, you know, this one-size-fits-all approach, which to me doesn't distinguish ITV from any other broadcaster now. OK, you've still got regional news uh, on ITV and you've got regional news on the BBC. But as far as ITV is concerned and the BBC, they are st all very much the same. They've got the same sets. They've got the same theme music. Whereas once upon a time, if you watch Coast to Coast in the TVS region or, you know, about Anglia, you knew you were watching something really unique from those regions. And... I'm sad that we've lost that. And 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 actually now, um, this week, we hear the announcement from Ofcom that they've allowed Global Radio to, to do very much the same and to mirror some of the ITV regions to have an Anglia, a Meridian and a, and a Southwest region. So we've actually lost the local in ILR as well now, which I think, you know... It's a shame. It, it is, is a, shame. a shame. It's a great shame. I would love to believe that one day someone would think, you know... What goes on in this country is so different in different parts of the parts of the British Isles. You know, you, you'd watch some wonderful documentaries and and local programs made in the southwest. Some of their traditions so different to what was going on in the Tyne Tees regions. And as soon as those different company logos came up, uh, probably because I was a bit of an anorak. But, you know, yeah. I'd say, oh, my gosh, you know, this is a different part of this country. And, and, and we learned so much from it. So. 
I would love to believe it would come back, but who knows? You know, never say never, but anything can happen. <laughs> Indeed. You've seen many different channel identities come and go. What would you say was your favourite channel identity of all time? My favourite channel identity of all time? Well, I suppose I'm going to be biased. I've got to say Thames. The original Thames ident, you know, where it splits over the over the river and the and the reflection, that's known world over. Um, secondly, and very closely followed by uh, Southern, because I grew up in the Southern area, and uh, ATV. Um, I guess I'm a bit of a traditionalist, actually, Rob, when it comes to to idents. Um, I like to see a nice logo and a symbol, because I think they. <laughs> They were more flexible for announcers. They were great tools to use. And I have to say at this point, um, congratulations to Matt Scarf and the ITV creatives team, because uh, I think they've done a great job with the new ITV idents. Um, at, at last, we've got a, an ITV symbol, which I think, um, which, which is absolutely great. I mean, I think um, going back a few years, uh, when the franchises changed in 92 or 93, as it were, um, I think probably, and I know one of your listeners will correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Carlton were the first company to actually have live action idents with people in them. Um, I don't know if, if, you, if you know the answer to that. I'm pretty sure I'm right. Is that right, do you think? Yeah, I, I, I reckon you're right there. But um, if anybody, anybody would like to correct me or, and you, please get in touch and tell us because we'd love yes, to hear think, about it. <laughs> I think the, the BBC might have had um, the the balloons and, 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 and the rest, you know, the, the dancers. That, that was later, but I yeah, that was later. That was 97. Was it? So Carlton, Carlton launched the people I danced when they launched in 93. So, yes. Yeah, yeah, so, they, I mean, they were really good. I, I, but I think, yes, uh, as I say, I think Carlton were the first ITV company to have, um, you know, uh, live action idents. Um, but, but it's also, I, as I say, I'm a real traditionalist. I like to see a station clock um, because, again, that was a great tool for announcers, particularly if things went wrong. You could put the clock up and, you know, it was it was a, it was a great piece of 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 tool for us to use especially into news but i know the argument's been since um digital that you know you can't have a clock because there's a there's a delay and it can be sometimes like 40 odd seconds but i'm glad to see that um the bbc the new bbc scotland channel has introduced a clock into their yeah. nine and seven news which is is really 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 interesting but of course you know even though we've got digital tv and digital radio um, we still get the pips and Big Ben on Radio 4. So perhaps the argument doesn't necessarily go. Um, but as I say, I'm a, I'm a real traditionalist for, for idents. And I, I think it's really interesting and, and great that the American idents, the American networks, the ABCs, the NBCs and CBSs, they've basically kept the same idents for 70 plus years. Uh, and I, I just think that's fantastic because I think that shows great strength and belief in your brand um and if you're changing your idents every you know few years i think that that sort of puts a bit of question over what you actually believe your your product is like so i mean hats off to the american networks what what are your thoughts on the current state of television presentation um well, as i say i think um matt scarf and the itv creatives team have done a, a marvelous job with these new idents i think there's one every one new one every week for the for the rest of 2019 
um it's good not to see a live action you know people ident um i'd love to see channel four bring back their ident because it's so iconic um you know they've they've used it on you know some of their promos and variations for their other channels like more four and you know plus four but i wish they'd someone would take the the real step and say that's our brand that's what we're recognized for the colorful four logo and let's bring it back um i like fives i like fives use of the of the figure five in into their um brake bumpers um i'm not so keen on their idents what do you think what do you think of the bbc idents at the moment uh, I love the new BBC Two look. I think that's a real refreshing look, and it's you know kept a stylized too. As for BBC One, oh gosh, what can you oh, say yeah. about that? Um, I just think I just think for the national broadcaster, they are pretty awful. Um, you know, understated um, and nothingness. I don't know about oneness, but they're nothingness. What I can un- I, I sort of get what they did you know oneness and bringing everyone together with bbc one but that was okay for a short campaign but it's it must be on for about two years now surely i mean what was wrong with the globe Uh, it's just fabulous you know you can you can update it gradually um bring back the globe i say for bbc one as the national broadcaster bring back the globe Bring back the globe. And I just hope that, you know, after this year has finished with the ITV idents every every different one every week, um, I hope they stick with a with a logo because I don't think you can beat a logo. I'm a traditionalist, yes, but you know, I think live action idents have had their day. They're they're so samey and you know, gimmicky. You just you can't beat a logo ident. That's why that's why all the ITV regional idents were so fabulous and so well loved. You know, you saw the ident and you thought, that's my station. You know, the Westwood Galleon, the ATVI, and of course the Anglian Knight. Wow, fabulous. I, I collect TV memorabilia. I mean, I, I run Ident Central, so I've got so many images, so many videos, so many interesting things in my archive. What's, uh, what's your archive like? Do you have an archive of memorabilia from television? I have Rob actually quite uh, quite an extensive one. Um, I call it the TV memorabilia cupboard actually because every time I'm going into different cupboards and areas, I'm finding more surprise treasures that um, I sometimes put up on uh, on different Facebook pages. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm a real TV memorabilia fanatic actually, and I'm I'm sure friends over the years have thought, oh god you know he's he's a bit around the twist but yeah i've got you know some some great things i've got um i've got uh, a lot of end boards you know the production caption boards um umbrellas coming out of i mean if uh, one day i'm going to sit in front of all these umbrellas with a photograph because umbrellas from all the all the tv stations um and i've also got one of my my two prize possessions um the final thames um logo that used to be hang behind the announcer on night times when you saw them in vision oh, yeah. i've got that yeah and i think my prize possession is the foundation oh. foundation stone from the southern television studios in southampton so, i mean sadly i can't put the foundation stone in in the house because it's it's too big and too heavy it took three people <laughs> to actually put it into into a car do you know the amazing thing about uh, getting that uh, foundation stone rob was that i actually yeah. it was actually yeah. taken out of the studios 
on the 40th anniversary that it was laid. Wow. And it wasn't until I got home, I looked at the date and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, it's 40 years to the day that this stone was laid and 40 years to the day later that I took it away. Unbelievable. So let's let's look into the future. How, how do you think that television's going, television presentation is going to change over the next 10 years? Well, I think without doubt, um, we're going to have a lot more streaming uh, and the traditional um, idea of people sitting in front of a TV for four or five hours a day watching one or two channels and watching what was presented to them is probably going to disappear to uh, to a large extent because people can now create their own schedules almost by watching, you know, Netflix or Amazon Prime or you know, any of these streaming channels. And of course, ITV and the BBC have now come together with BritBox. So there's going to be more reason uh, for people to pick and choose what they want to watch. So in that respect, um, the traditional sort of, as I say, viewing, I think, will change. Uh, I can see a time when maybe even live continuity announcing will disappear. um, And so much of it will be pre-recorded, which again, you know, is yeah. is very sad you know um and, and and i always i always sort of cringe when i hear um pre-recorded uh continuity because you know on certain some channels i mean I, I, you know if i watch itv3 uh sometimes yeah. we'll have the same intro into on the buses uh you know every day for three weeks or you know and you just think oh it's going to be you know down at the depot you know the same thing and i don't think viewers like that no, no, it's just if it, it doesn't feel as personal as doing it live, in my opinion. No, and I think we, 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 you know, us as humans, we like to feel we belong somewhere. And that's another thing that I would say about the loss of the ITV regions as we knew it. Of course, they still exist in a franchise form, but people like to feel they belong to a region. You know, I mean, Look at how Granada land suddenly became, you know, almost a, a part of the of the of the UK map. You know, um, big areas of, of the country were known because of their TV companies. And, you know, we like to feel that we belong to it. We like to go past the studio and see the flag flying and and say, oh, wow, that's my TV station. And and, and that, again, I think we, we've we've really lost. And, uh, you know, people that that connection with the public has gone um that that more intimate sort of you know we're your station and um because again it's a sort of a one-size-fits-all approach isn't it yeah it is yeah so um let's let's find out what you're up to now because i mean i I take it you don't work in you're not working in television as much anymore so what what are you up to at the moment well, I'm doing voiceovers, um, a lot of podcasts for clients and narrating of, you know, company videos, that sort of thing. Um, I'm also doing uh, training if people want to do television presentation training and presenting company corporate videos. So in the corporate market. So it's uh, it's very different. Um, there's no there's no sort of immediacy with the corporate market. They are very different, very different beasts. But uh, at least I get the chance to use my skills. And of course, you know, always love to get back into TV broadcasting in in, in some way. So, you know, let's see what happens. Never say never. Absolutely. (laughs) Uh, 
Mark, it has been a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for being a guest on the TV Booth podcast. Thanks very much indeed, Rob. Thanks a lot. My thanks to Mark Lipscomb for a fantastic chat and a great insight into the world of being a continuity announcer. Thank you for listening to the podcast and a particular thank you for the great feedback received following my first podcast with Erin Gordon a few weeks ago. The response has been fantastic and I do hope that you will continue to follow the podcast in the future. Don't forget you can visit our website tvboothpodcast.co.uk for more information. You can subscribe to our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube and Instagram feeds for upcoming show news. And I will be back with another podcast very soon. So for now, goodbye and don't forget to switch off your devices before you go to bed tonight. The TV Booth Podcast is hosted by Rob Francis. Copyright 2019.